0: You're about to experience Ultrasounds, an uplifting, soulful journey into the spheres of exotic electronic music, brought to you by DJ E-Love, WMNF 88.5 FM Tampa, music for your mind, body, and soul. And you are listening to Ultrasounds right here on WMNF Tampa community conscious radio 88.5 on your dial my name is Love, and if you're on facebook you can join us there ultrasounds radio show every november i dedicate ultrasounds to animal appreciation and we speak with animal advocates from all over the world and tonight we have dan knob who is Also known as Dan the Whale Man, president of the Whale Video Company, where whales become friends, and the founder of Whale and Marine Life Video Archive. And he's also the Cetacean Society International Director and Google Ocean Contributor. Welcome to the Ultrasound Show. Greetings. (laughs) Well, it's just so wonderful to have you on. And I wanted to ask you, how long have you been involved with the whales?
1: Uh, Well, since probably uh, 1988 is when we started our company, and it was simply to go out on whale-watching boats, film everything we saw, and uh, the company we were with, did a 1,000 trips every year, so we've been on over 17,000 whale-watching trips.
0: Oh, my goodness. So you've really gotten to know the whales pretty well, eh?
1: We do, and, and something we, we found out very quickly is the humpback whales have names. They were given names by the people that study them. They have great personalities, something we wouldn't think about whales having. Very unique behaviors and a, an a extreme interest in us, the people on the boats.
0: When you're looking at the whales, have some of you become friends for a long time and that's how you know them?
1: What happens, uh, the humpback whales, their tails are around 13 feet wide and each one is unique. Underneath the tail is a black and white tail, all black to all white and everything in between. So that's how they, most of them even get their names. It's like a fingerprint. No two humpback whale tails are the same.
0: Wow, so that's if
1: amazing. we look at the humpback tail, we might see a, a, a cut in the top that looks like a V. So that whale was named Churchill because Churchill used to show his fingers as a V for victory.
0: So how long has your longest whale relationship been then?
1: I believe it was with a whale named Coral, who is in our adoption program actually. And uh, coral saved the day. We were out on a four-hour whale watch and saw absolutely nothing. It was a very rare day on the water. And just before we turned into the harbor, uh, a humpback whale started breaching. And it breached three or four times, and we came up to it. And uh, the naturalist said, oh, that's silver. Silver was a humpback whale with just half a tail. So if you remember Treasure Island, the novel, Long John Silver was missing a leg, and Silver was missing half her tail. So uh, how she got her name is Silver.
0: So when you were on the boat, Coral was the one who came save the day.
1: Yeah, uh, Coral saved the day because uh, he started breaching, and uh, uh, we saw that and then went over. Or, you know, in the whale-watching community, if you go out and see nothing, that's called getting skunked. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What exactly is the Cetacean Society International, and what function does it have?
1: Okay, it's uh, it's been around since the early '70s. It's one of the oldest 501c3 nonprofit whale conservation groups. It started as the Connecticut Cetacean Society and and evolved into Cetacean Society International. Uh, It's an all volunteer board, officers, and staff. So uh, our expenses are very low, newsletter expenses and website and accounting and things like that, but 93% of the funding that we get goes into the programs. And our basic philosophy is we are anti-whaling, no captivity in sea aquariums, and we fund research and disentanglement teams around the world.
0: So what's happening over in Japan with the whaling?
1: Well, right now Japan is still insisting that they have the right through the centuries of being a whaling nation. And they believe that uh, they can take certain numbers of whales in certain populations. Right now they concentrate on Mickey whales. But, you know, scientists are finding out now that there's such a the, the meat is toxic from all the plastic and different chemicals and things you find in the in the oceans these days, that uh, the meat isn't even safe for consumption. Uh, But they kill whales, they process the entire whale. uh, It goes into meat and and grocery stores. Uh, Some of it's ground up into into pet food, like dog and cat food. And um, I think they they started serving it, uh, it to school students just a few years ago, which isn't a very good idea, I don't think.
0: Goodness. Now, does this get exported as well?
1: Uh, No, uh, they've been importing, actually, from Iceland and Norway.
0: Okay. Now, what about tribal situations where they might be doing it for their tribe?
1: Yes, that's called aboriginal whaling, and there are a few... uh, Actually, most people don't know that the United States is a whaling nation because of our Eskimos. Uh, The Eskimos are taking basically bowhead whales when they kill a bowhead whale and butcher the whale, they share it throughout their village or tribe. And that's how we get the Aboriginal uh, whaling moniker with that. And there are there are other groups. Uh, humpback whales are killed uh, down in the Caribbean at St. Vincent and the Grenadine Islands, uh, two or three of those a year. And that is also Aboriginal or subsistence whaling. And... Uh, The other nations that that talked about killing humpback whales and I'm not sure whether, I I think you can tell humpback whales are my favorite. I'm not sure whether Greenland has killed any humpback whales recently but they have uh, expressed an interest in it and Japan wants to take up to five to ten humpback whales each year but haven't for the last few years.
0: So do you think that the active work that's been going on to stop this is actually working?
1: I, I think it is, and there's a, there's a movement even within Japan itself that there are certain activists playing a low key uh, that they are also anti-whaling. There's just so many variables in this. you know. The, the, the Japanese take a really strong stance at the International Whaling Commission meetings every two years, and uh, they do have some allies in their fight, but there are more countries that want to do away with all forms of whaling than those that want to stay with it.
0: Now, when you're out on boats, do you see the effects of all the plastics out there?
1: Well, we do. Uh, There aren't many trips where you don't see something floating in the water, and that will lead us right back to the humpback whales because they have really big open mouths when they feed and they can ingest plastic that way. Uh, but because the humpbacks have these personalities, we often see them out there playing with the plastic, too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if someone has, like, a five-gallon bucket that's out there or a milk container that has a lid on it and it hasn't uh, gone down to the bottom, you can see them hitting it with their flippers or pushing it with their noses. And uh, it just... it <laughs> they, they pushed floating uh, logs around, anything out there that that when they're well fed and there's usually a lot of fish and food for them out. Where we go on Stellwagen Bank, that I always say they have a lot of time in their flippers so they have to fill it with a little bit of playful behavior too.
0: (laughs) How similar are they in their behavior to dolphins? Because you must see dolphins out there too.
1: Well, we do. We see lots of maybe... uh, up to a dozen different species of dolphins. Now, dolphins are toothed whales, and, and the humpback whales and finback whales and Mickey whales are baleen whales. And dolphins travel in family groups, but the baleen whales don't have large groups that they usually travel in. So the longest relationship of humpback whales is, of course, a mother and her calf, which lasts around 10 or 11 months after they're born. But they're they're... We call them solitary, but there's, because their sound travels through water so well, they may be associating with themselves when they're miles apart, too. We just don't know.
0: Do they travel with the spouse, the, the male uh, and the female, and the baby?
1: Well, no, no. Uh, in fact, that's the tough thing. Because we can identify the babies because they stay with their mothers all those months by their tail patterns, too. Uh, the fathers really aren't part of their lives. And we think it's because the whales are so big they can protect the babies pretty much on their own. And they are starting to do that, too. We're seeing many, a third of the humpback whales have killer whale teeth marks on their tails. So that means that the killer whales tried to make a meal of the babies, but we think that the female humpback whales are very successful of protecting them from the pot of killer whales.
0: You had a story about Nan. Can you tell that?
1: So I think I can. Uh, a friend of mine, Nan Hauser, uh, is a researcher out in Tonga, which is out in the Pacific. Uh, and one day her and an acquaintance were on a boat, and they saw two humpback whales. And they I, I don't know if these whales have names, but they they saw these two whales before hanging around together. And she decided to snorkel with them. And as she approached the male whale, uh, it sort of showed some real interest in her. It was pushing her with its head. It was trying to get her under its flipper, which is around 16 feet long and about 4 feet wide. I mean, Nan was a little afraid that he was trying to hold her underwater and she would drown, but she kept backing up and and getting out of his way. Uh, The person on the boat, a man said that he saw a huge tiger shark with the female humpback whale and she was keeping that shark away from where Nan and the male whale were. Wow. So they were looking out for her in Nan's opinion and, and mine too. Uh, there are stories where they're starting to do it with all kinds of marine life with seals and sea lions and things like that.
0: It's so amazing. You have an adoption program. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: We do. We started with two humpback whales in the adoption program, and we're now uh, up to 11 different whales. And uh, it, it, we think it's, it's the most unusual adoption program in the world because of all our video work and annotating the video clips into which whale it is and who it's hanging around with and what it was doing. We've developed DVDs for each of the whales in the program. So uh, the whales have names like SALT sockeye, thorn, bandit, and colt. And uh, so there's a unique DVD of each one of those whales, and they run between 30 and 35 minutes. And it tries to give you a good idea of each of the behaviors those whales do. Now, most of them have a unique behavior. So let me just start with bandit. Bandit was named for uh, two white marks on the top of his tail. It's all black on the top, but he's got these two white marks that look like a mask. a bandit's mask, and he has this unique way of feeding that he slashes his tail through the school of fish three or four times, and it's quite dramatic, and if we see a whale doing that, we almost are positive it's bandit because he's the only one that puts up that kind of effort when he's feeding. (laughs) Uh, Colt, and he's my favorite of all, and I call him the ambassador for all the whales. Because even when, as a young calf, he used to make a beeline for any boat that was moving past him. And he would get under the boat, at which time they have to turn their engines off, and they can't have their propellers spinning at all. And uh, Colt would stay there just as long as he wanted to, because they were forced to just sit there and wait for him to go away. <laughs> and many times he didn't go away. So you've got you know more people back on the pier waiting for the next trip, and Colt's holding the boat hostage. But he, uh, he has this unique behavior of splashing people with water from his flippers. Uh, he also makes more loud noises through his blowholes than any of the other whales we ever saw. And he has quite a repertoire that he goes through. <laughs> um, I don't know if you were able to capture any of that for your audience.
0: I do have some. Let's see if we can pull that up. <laughs>
1: So that sounds a little bit like a bull in a in a
0: pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. That's so amazing because he has so many different sounds.
1: Yes, and, and that is. And, and humpback whales uh, sing down in the breeding ground as well, you know, long songs that have all the makeups of, of music. and it's really amazing. And each year there's a new song that they sing. So they start the, the season, the breeding season with one song. And it migrates, and everybody starts singing the the changes to that song. At the end of the year, they're all singing the same song. It's an amazing story. Um, And Colt has the rare honor of having been singing up on the feeding ground instead of the breeding ground, and we captured that on tape, too, and that happens to be on his DVD, so... We wow. have a whale just a few feet from the boat singing his song for that year. It's uh, pretty amazing. So, you don't uh, go
0: with the boat to the breeding ground area. It's only in the feeding grounds.
1: Yeah, the, where we were, it was only on the feeding grounds up around Massachusetts and Connecticut and New York uh, State. They're, they're off there and uh, they're out on Georgia's Bank. You can find humpback whales up in Canada. But the breeding ground is down in the Caribbean on a place called Silver Bank. So when the babies are born, the calves, they don't have a very thick blubber layer, so they need to be born in warm water first. And then on the very rich mother's milk, they gain about 75 pounds every day when they're nursing. Wow. Uh, And usually I think they get 50 to 70 gallons of mother's milk a day. So she's really producing the milk. And uh, it, it's quite a story, you know. She'll she'll wait till the calf is six or seven weeks old, then they'll make the fifteen hundred mile migration up to the feeding ground. So, it's having a calf is a pretty good strong strain on the mothers. Um, and speaking, the, the one of the whales in our program is called Salt, and she wasn't named for her tail, but for her white dorsal fin on her back. It looked like somebody dumped salt in her back. That's how she got her name. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's called the Grand Dom of Stellwagen Bank. She was born in 1975 and seen every year since then up there. She has 14 calves, 15 grand calves, and two great grand calves <laughs> that we know of. Wow. Those are the ones that have survived, and we don't have any reason to think they only died. But if they did, there's more than 33 whales in that one family tree. And people are glad. They wait for her every spring to come back so that they know she's safe. Then there's, there's two other. Do I have just time to quickly yes. tell you about two more? Yes. Okay. Sockeye is a handicapped whale. He has a deformed jaw, and it's kind of a miracle that he even survived. Uh, all the whales that have baleen in their mouth, the baleen grows straight down out of their upper jaw only, and the lower jaw is just like a big rubber tub that they collect the fish and water in when they're feeding. But Sockeye's baleen kind of grows out to the side, and he almost can't get his mouth shut. So it looks like he has this problem right at the front of his jaw. It looks like he has an overbite, and he's pretty easy to identify out in the water because he's the only one that's afflicted this way, and he's kind of a favorite. Sockeye, not only did he have a deformed jaw, but he has a lot of killer whale teeth marks on his tail too, so they tried to make him lunch one day. And then the last one that I talk about today... Thorn was born in 1983, and he blows these magnificent bubble rings in the water that no other whale blows that we've ever seen. And they just look like a smoke ring from a cigar or cigarette going through the air but coming up from the ocean. When Thorn is doing this, it's really one of the most amazing things anybody would ever see. That's just a flavor of five of the whales that are in our program.
0: Do you think the deformity in the jaw came from being bitten when a baby, or...?
1: Well, it could be genetic, I suppose, but perhaps uh, he got too close to a boat one day and perhaps broke something in his jaw, too, by being hit by a boat. Mm. There, there, are, there are a few things that they, they have problems with. Boats can be one. Boats kill whales. Uh, cruise ships, mostly by accident. Cruise ships kill them. Yes, yeah, so a few cruise ships have come in with a whale stuck to the front of the ship. In a couple of different ports, that's happened. Uh, they do get entangled in fishing nets and lobster pot lines and things like that. And sometimes, you know, uh, one of the things the fishermen can do is instead of just discarding their damaged nets at sea, you know, bring them in and get them on the lo- uh, on the land so they don't harm the whale. So. That's some of the advocate work we do is trying to get that done. We also fund disentanglement teams where if a whale does get entangled by a fishing net or lobster line, that, uh, there's trained individuals that go out and uh, cut those nets off the whales. It is dangerous. One man died last year doing it.
0: Wow. Were they in the water or do they do it from the boat?
1: Well, they do it. It's funny because they use old whaling tools. They have a real long... Um, Handled knife that's curved on the end, and the inside on the but like if it was a half moon, the inside of the knife is sharp and the outside isn't. Mm. So they can get it between the whale and the net and saw away at the rope and the netting. And some of these nets could be a mile long. So as the whale gets entangled and gets fearful, might start rolling, and then that traps its flippers, you know, close to its body in the net. It's a terrible thing to happen to a whale, and, you know, the the lucky ones can still move their tails and swim.
0: Now, why do they go ashore? Why do they get drifted ashore and get beached?
1: What's the usual Uh, reason? Well, are several theories. You know, the ones that usually do that in large groups are called pilot whales. And uh, they think that, uh, well, especially around where we do our whale watching, there's a place near Barnstable Harbor that you can barely tell which way is out to sea and which way is into land. And if they get confused, the pilot whale pods are usually led by a large male. Uh, and if, if he gets confused or he's injured and he gets on land, he'll send out distress calls. So his family's going to follow him in. And that's why many times, even if the rescuers get there and get them back out to sea, um, if he's still calling out they'll turn around and come back to where he is but it's a confusing it's confusing which way is out to sea and which way is on on the land for them now humpback whales and finback whales the really large whales i don't think they have that they don't have that problem at all uh when we do find them they're usually dead from a ship strike or being entangled or some other thing there was a. Uh, case about 18 years ago where red tide poisoning which is a naturally occurring toxin in the water killed about 18 of our humpback whales and some that that i had seen before it was a, a real loss
0: we've had pretty bad red tide this season here in the florida region in the gulf coast
1: And I'm sure it took its share of fish, too.
0: Yes, and dolphins and other creatures, and it's been very heartbreaking. They attribute it also to some pollution that has accelerated it. And uh, there's some answers coming in, hopefully, in the next, you know in the future about it so that we can perhaps do something about it.
1: Sure. Well, we have to admire our marine biologists and our scientists that study those, those conditions to see what they can do.
0: And this is why societies like the Cetacean Society International are so valuable. What about Google Ocean? Tell us about that because you're a contributor for them.
1: Well, Google Ocean uh, was started... Because uh, you had Google Earth first, and uh, it was pointed out that the Earth is only 13% of the Earth's surface land, the rest of it's ocean. So if you're going to have Google Earth, you should have Google Ocean. (laughs) So Google set this this, up. application up where people could contribute around the world and if you had something that a story that you wanted to tell about a certain area you would mark it on the ocean where it happened and you could tell your story. Of course ours was uh, video based so we took some of the wonderful things that Salt and Sockeye and Colt were doing and we tagged where that was in the Gulf of Maine, where we saw it, and made the video available for it. So,
0: Fabulous. We haven't
1: contributed lately, but we plan to do a whole lot more in the future. But it's kind of interesting to see some of the whales that, that we know and, and some of the behaviors they have out on Google Ocean.
0: Totally. So if people want to find out more about the whales, find out about the adoption program, where do they go?
1: I think the best thing is we're handling everything for CSI through uh, the website whaleswithnames.com.
0: Beautiful.
1: Easy to remember, whaleswithnames.com. And when you get on the landing page, you'll see the the names of actually 50 whales on the right side of the page. So you can click on any one of those 50 humpback whales and learn its story. You can see its family tree, and most of them have a video clip. There's an adopt button that you can just press that and go right to the eleven that you can adopt and read their stories and find somebody that you think it sounds interesting to you. If you were a grandmother, a great grandmother, you could adopt Salt. If you were always outrageous in the social atmosphere, you probably want to adopt Colt. And, <laughs> you know, if you're a really energetic, maybe Bandit. So that's the best way. You'll find somebody that uh, sounds interesting to you if you go out to the adopt page.
0: And you are on YouTube, Dan the Whale Man.
1: Yeah, as well. And no on periods f- or spaces, just Dan the Whale Man. Fabulous. And Facebook. And there are lots of videos out there.
0: Nice. And Adopt a Humpback is on Facebook.com.
1: It is, yeah.
0: And then, if people want to go to the CSI Facebook page, it's CSI Whale Lovers on Facebook. Thank you so much for a wonderful, wonderful chat, wow. and many, many blessings. So much gratitude for all the work that you're doing and all of your wisdom about whales. And thank you for sharing with us. Thank well, you so a, much. I had
1: a good time sharing with you, and and. Uh We'll keep in touch, love.
0: Thank you. Many, many blessings.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. Bye.
0: And we've been speaking with Dan Knob, who is the Cetacean Society International Director and many, many, many years of experience. He's the president of the Whale Video Company, where whales become friends. And you can go to whaleswithnames.com. You've been listening to Ultrasounds with DJ E Love on WMNF Tampa. Peace and love until next week.